are talking about Dispatches from Lesbian America, which is a collection of 40 pieces of fiction and memoir by lesbian writers. And all three of you are the editors and put it together and chose your contributors, right? Yeah, it's actually got 43 writers in it all together. And they are mostly U.S.-based lesbian writers. We have three women from other countries. It's short fiction and short memoir. And we have started working on it in 2013 as a group, the three of us. And it took us actually three years to get it finally to the point where it's just about to be published. Our publisher is the Dazzle Publishing Company, and they're typesetting the book right now while it's being laid out and produced, and we hope to see it in early December, and it'll be in both paperback and ebook format. So why did you decide to do this project? This is wrong here. I wanted a place to get a piece published. I think that all of us were hoping to get something published, and we chose this format because it's not so easy to get published in print for lesbians, and we also wanted to have some control over the outcome of the book that our pieces would go in. This is Sakina speaking. Mostly what you find nowadays used to be erotica, and we wanted to read something different for a change, and so... We had to do it. We actually were having Thanksgiving dinner a few years ago at my house, and we were reading each other's stories and enjoying them and going, God, you know, I was saying, it just seems like there's so few venues to spend writing that you've done as a lesbian, as a feminist. There's just not enough places to get published, and we're writing some really good stuff. Maybe we should put it all together and reach out and find some other lesbian writers and create a book. So basically, we're thinking in terms of getting our own stuff out there, but also recognizing that there's so few venues for lesbian writers, and we really wanted to see that. I mean, in the past, there used to be a lot more publications of anthology collections by lesbian writers. There was all kinds of anthologies. Nice Jewish girls, Latina lesbians. There was all sorts of collections, lesbians and their cats. I remember a book like that. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like it got really sparse, and there was this huge silence. And it coincided, of course, with us losing a lot of our women's bookstores and a lot of our gathering spaces and the culture changing and shifting. And we look around, and there's nowhere to send work. If you're a lesbian writer and you're producing and you're trying to get published, there's very few venues. So we wanted to do something about that. Just briefly, I wanted to ask, in light of your responses, do you think the reason that pretty much all you find in terms of lesbian literature in mainstream publishing is erotica, do you think that that's because publishing remains a male-dominated industry? Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. There's a lot of reasons for that. That's an interesting question I would love to debate or talk about, discourse about with other lesbians, but... Yeah, for sure the publishing industry is very male-dominated. I mean, you have trouble as a woman writer, you have trouble as a woman of color writer, and as a lesbian writer, it's just all much harder, too. But I think the erotica, I mean, I don't know who's doing all those erotica anthologies, but it just seems like they come out a lot. And yet, if you're not writing erotica or if you're writing other stuff, there just isn't enough places to send your work. And 
I'm not sure what causes that. It could have something to do with so much of our lesbian culture early on with gathering in bars and places like that and this sort of ghettoization of us. That is a long-standing issue from decades ago. I don't know what the actual cause is, but it just seems like you look around and there's just not enough places to send work. But if you're writing erotica, you might find more places, and I'm not sure what that's about. So for those of us that have other issues we want to talk about, we wanted to branch out and create other forums. This is Ron here. I wanted to also say that even aside from male domination of the publishing field, we're looking at women-owned presses, lesbian-owned presses, who are eager to publish erotica about that because practically sex sells. And it's a revolutionary time in the publishing field because things have been shifting from paper and bookstores to digital. So I think that that's kind of a sure bet. It's the sex in time that there's a lot of change and upheaval in the publishing industry. And the uncertainty, yeah. Yes, definitely. I, I remember a, a bookmark we had back in the 80s that said freedom of the press belongs to she who owns the presses. And it really stuck with me over the years because around that time was when a lot of women's publishing houses existed. And we saw many, many more books written by women and written by lesbians coming into print. It was because women were doing the publishing. And there are still some of those types of publishing houses, but not nearly as many as there used to be. But that was a heyday for women and lesbians getting our work published. So how did you choose your contributors for this anthology? We put out a call. It was published in Parts and Writers, and we did that several times. And we also, of course, told all our friends. And we live in an area that's got a lot of lesbians, got a lot of communities. Yeah, we're in the we're in the San Francisco Bay Area, so we're fortunate to have, you know, a pretty substantial community here. So when we were first talking about it, we were immediately thinking of writers that we knew, lesbian writers. But then I was thinking, well, you know, let's not limit it to just the Bay Area. I bet you there's lots of good writing happening in other parts of the country. We did decide, um, well, we're going to keep it to the United States. That was our original focus, but then as we started advertising the book and calling for material, we ended up getting writing from women outside of the country, too. So then we were like, well, should we accept this? We really like what the story is working on and saying, and so we decided to uh, have three women in the book that are from outside the U.S., and we're really excited about that. But basically, we kept publishing an ad calling for material in Poets and Writers, which is a national magazine that a lot of writers look at. And we also did word of mouth. We just really pounded the pavement. We kept asking everybody to know. On social media, too, on Facebook, I was letting people know I was doing this book and asking for lesbian writers to send us material, everybody we could think of. If you know a writer, and then we were also looking for artists originally for the book cover. That was the hardest part, is finding <laughs> a great book cover. We went through so many versions of what we could possibly put on the cover, and we weren't getting enough artwork submitted to us, so we kind of had to just beat the pavement. It took us three years altogether. Well, you also, Giovanna, didn't you go, if you said this already, excuse me, um, you went out and worked for writers, too. I mean, you... Eat the bushes for, so to speak, for <laughs> <laughs> good writing, and then you reached out to the writer. Yeah. Could we use that piece or something from her? Right. I mean, I'm online a lot. I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups. I'm in 
know a lot of women online, and I see great pieces of writing published online. So if I saw something that fit the premise of our book, I would contact that woman and say, hey, you know, we're doing this book. Would you be interested in sending us your story or your essay? So found a lot of women that way, too. Oh, and we also reached out to people specifically who are fans of their work, uh, Judy Bronze, for instance. Alina Dykeman, right. other people who come to mind right away, we reached out to a number of authors that we thought other people would know also that would have a big fan base around the country. Right. We do have quite a few fairly well-known writers in the book, which we're proud of. And we also have some emerging writers, which we're also excited about. There's just such a range of talent out there as far as lesbian writers, what they're writing about, their life experiences, memoir, fiction. It's really amazing, and we were quite struck by the power of the pieces that we were reading. But we do have some more well-known writers like Terry Battle, who's a playwright, Alana Dykeman, Judy Gron, Pippa Fleming, Deb Joe, Ren Keller, Keith Adam Russell, Barbara Ruth, and quite a few other well-known voices. And then we've had more emerging writers or new writers. So it's, it's exciting because it's a very rich combination of women and people are saying unique things and interesting things, but they're also echoing each other. A lot of similar themes are coming up as well. So I love the anthology format because it shows so many women in context with each other. So it's one thing to like read a novel by one writer, but it's another thing to see a broad range of writers all together that create a community of lesbian work, and it's quite powerful. So now that you've said a little bit about your contributors, why don't you share your own backgrounds as lesbian feminist writers? This is Sakina. I started out working at the Women's Center at San Jose State back in the late 70s as a graphic artist, and I started doing militant feminist comic strips. And then after I came out, I started doing lesbian comic strips and writing lesbian short stories. I got a master's degree, or as we used to say, a maestro's degree in women's spirituality, and all my writing reflects feminist principles, and that was one of the things we were looking for in our contributors. This is Giovanna. I've been writing for a number of, I don't know, years, decades. I mean, I started when I was a kid. I was writing poems on index cards. I don't know how I ended up with index cards, but I've been writing for a really long time, and... Over the years, I've edited a couple of collections with other people. I worked on the Sinister Wisdom collection on lesbians and class. I don't even remember what year that was. I think it was like in the early 90s. And then I worked on the Italian-American Sinister Wisdom issue with Denise Lito. That was in 
and I love the idea of we're going to be promoting this book as a group and as a community. Like I said in one of our emails, it's going to take a village to sell this book because there's 43 of us in it. We're going to be all over the country and even outside the U.S. working on promoting the book. And I love that because I write in the context of other women and I want to reach a wide variety of women and other people too. I would love for anybody to read our book and take a look at it. So it's exciting to work collaboratively. That's what I enjoy the most. It's great to be out there as a writer and to get my own work out there. And I love doing readings. However, I like to read with groups of women. And I think that's where we're the strongest. This is Ron here. My background is I started out getting published in underground comics in the 90s. And my themes were lesbian and feminist, and I was published in underground vehicles like women's comics, gay comics, girl jocks. And I've been keeping a journal since I was 17, so I've been writing memoir for over 45 years. And when we started discussing this book, I was in a memoir group working on a piece about my mother. And then I've lived in the Bay Area for many years. 35 years, and so I've been a part of this lesbian feminist culture, just immersed in our world here for all those years. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you for all of your contributions over the years to lesbian literature and art. That's a lot between the three of you. What were your biggest obstacles in making this anthology, getting it to a publishable place... In the overall process, what were your challenges? Well, this is wrong here. I like to say first, time. Finding the time to do a full-time job as editors of this book when we were already working full-time and have busy, busy lives. The time is an obstacle. Yeah, we all have full-time jobs that are very demanding. And when we took this on, we didn't realize how much stuff we were going to get, you know, and really it was quite an undertaking. Before we gave you a call, we wrote down a bunch of the obstacles that we thought were challenges for this book, and we came up with eight of them. (laughs) (laughs) And that was off the top of our head. That was right, right right off the top of our head. We had uh, just a lot of different things we had to confront. I mean, the biggest one was time, because we all work for a living. We're not, you know, we're not trust fund babies or anything like that. We're just working class gals, and... um, also, just sustaining the interest of our authors over, it took us three years to finish this book, and we kept telling them, hey, you know, we're making progress, we're making progress, now we're going to look for a publisher, and we had to engage their trust and faith that we were going to, yeah, get somewhere with this book, and please don't send that story out to someplace else, because we want it, you know. And so that was a big one. And also, finding a range of women, we wanted to make sure it was a diverse collection, diverse in every way possible, in terms of age, culture, race, ability and disability, location, while we decided we wanted to keep it pretty much U.S.-based, but then we fell in love with three stories that we couldn't resist publishing that were women from other countries. But we had to make a couple of extra pitches for increasing the diversity of the collection and reaching out to more women of color writers. So that took some work. And then the biggest thing was finding a publisher. Because the first few publishers we approached turned us down. We we spent a lot of time 
pitching the book, you know, creating the synopsis and all of that, uh, projecting what the chapters were going to be and sending this out to several publishers and then getting rejected or just getting, there were women's publishers too. Yeah, there were small presses, women's presses, so we spent a lot of time pitching the book and then either we, we got no right away or they put us off indefinitely, we didn't hear from them and we just kind of gave up because we figured that they didn't even bother to get back to us. Then finally I said, hey, let's try the Dazzle Bank because they had published my book of poetry the year before and I thought maybe they'd be interested in an anthology of lesbian writing. And so I approached them and they looked at a summary of the book and several stories that were going to be included in the book and they said they'd be interested. So that really got us going. We were so excited. All this work was not for naught. <laughs> and... Um, Overall, it took us three years, and, and finally the book is now in production. We had to make some pretty hard editorial decisions because there are many lesbian writers in the Bay Area who sent us work. Well, not many, but, you know, quite a few that we knew personally, and we found that the work wasn't quite appropriate or didn't fit the book and the concept of the book. We had to say no, and that was hard because we know a lot of the women, and we are very grateful that anybody sent us their work and we appreciate the extension of trust and interest and it was hard in many cases having to make some decisions where we knew people personally but we couldn't accept their work so that was something that we spent quite a bit of energy on yeah and our baseline slant was to have a positive collection of stories not whitewashing stuff but we wanted something that reflected and the positive self-image. So we were looking for pieces that were more along those lines. And so we had to turn down some fine pieces because they didn't come from the positive, hopeful place we were, we were hoping to capture. Yes, that was, we talked about that, wanting to present a collection of uplifting stories, empowering stories, very lesbian-focused stories, and we kind of decided, God, there's so much negative crap out there about lesbians and, you know, the movies they make and the woman commits suicide at the end. There's so much bullshit like that out there. We really decided we wanted to have an uplifting, positive, empowering collection of stories. Yeah. So you sort of already answered this, but who do you hope will read your book and how will you promote it? Well, I would hope that a large audience would be interested in, in this book. And this interview is part of trying to sell the book. And you ask women to, after libraries and local bookstores, if there are any, to, to, buy, to order the book. Two of us are public librarians and wanted to make a pitch for it. Ask your local library to buy this book because for one thing, you'll get to read it for free. And for another thing, it'll be available to many other people to read. Our public libraries are archives, and they're the place we go, and we can count on them to buy books that we're interested in. So we wanted to say, get your local library to buy the book. Also, ask your local bookstore to buy the book. You know, help us get the book out there. We're, we're really excited to reach as wide of an audience as possible. Of course, our main focus was on reaching lesbians. That's our main population that we're aiming to reach, but we want everybody to read this book, and we think it's powerful and exciting enough that they'll enjoy it. This is Rome here, also of special interest to me because I grew up in the South. I felt really isolated and like an alien from somewhere else, and I've been in the Bay Area a long time now, and I enjoy this community here, and 
I especially wanted to reach women in isolated areas who might feel like they're the only one in the world and let them know they're not alone. There are a bunch of us out here and hey, look open. <laughs> or form a community where you are. I mean, yeah. Part of this doing this book is I hope that it will be a tool for organizing lessons and pulling us together and giving us visibility. Come to our readings, set up readings of your own. It's meant to be a vehicle for women to come together and create more lesbian culture. We're all seeing that there's this disappearance of lesbian spaces and a disappearance of our books and music and bookstores and gathering places. All of that is kind of on the wane right now. So we would love to see this book help spark more creation of lesbian culture. And fortunately, there are quite a few more books coming out now around these themes which is really exciting, not, not just our book, of course, but other ones too, and that's really exciting. So we're just hoping to reach as many women as possible in this country and internationally. We would love it if you want to contact us and help us set up a reading somewhere. That would be amazing, and we would do the best we can to help you with that. Did anything surprise you about the pieces that you chose as you read them for the first time? Well, yeah, I mean... Um, we got this incredible story from a woman in prison in the South. That was one of our obstacles, is how are we going to reach women in these outlying places? And she found our ad somehow, and she sent us material, and we were so thrilled to hear like, what's going on for lesbians in prison, at least for this one in particular. And her story, she sent us two different ones, and we chose one of them, and her stories were amazing and just really kind of a bird's eye view into life in prison for lesbian women. So that was one that was really exciting. I mean, all of the stuff we chose in some way unique or we hadn't heard it before or it corroborated our own experiences. We have a woman that wrote to us who's from New Zealand, and she wrote about being a political organizer and an activist, and how over the years, uh, New Zealand lesbian culture has emerged, and how they also were watching what we were doing over here in the U.S., and learning from us and sharing with us. So she wrote this whole piece about organizing lesbians in New Zealand, and that was really exciting. We received a lot of road trip stories. I think we were all surprised about that. Oh, we got about five or six road trip stories. Apparently... Lesbians getting in a van and taking a trip is like a huge part of our culture. <laughs> that was great. And we got a lot of stories about relationships, and some of them we chose, but we didn't want the book to be so much emphasizing love relationships, although that's important, but there are so many books on lesbian breakups and lesbian romance and all that, so we wanted to make sure that we had a diversity of the material. But we did have quite a few. One piece is called Married to a Man and in Love with a Woman, and that was about a woman who came out later in life after she'd been married to a guy for a long time and had children with him and realized one day, oh my God, I'm totally attracted to women. And so that was a story about her journey, Joanne Fleischer. We've had quite a few pieces that were talking about lesbians going through their spiritual communities, religions, and trying to sort their way, find their way to their lesbian identity and their true uh, sense of spirituality. We had quite a few stories about that. And we had a, a wonderful story by a gal named Charlene Allen, I believe, and it gave us a glimpse 
into the African American fundamentalist Christian kind of Baptist church experience. Yeah, yeah. being in, in the black church and coming out and negotiating your way through that. And for other cultures, as a black person that doesn't go to any church whatsoever, it was that, again, this is another word for me and maybe for a lot of other people who want to point it out more. We also have a story by Heath Adam Russell that is about her process of making a decision to transition when she was in her young 20s and then what she went through with that and then realizing that she had made a mistake, made a bad choice for her life and going through the process of detransitioning and everything that that entails. So she has a really exciting and moving piece about that called Fighting Back, the Struggle to Reclaim My Womanhood. We have a lot of pieces that have to do with identity and the search for identity, which some understandings of yourself, the aging process, how that impacts you as you get older. We have stories about being in the workplace. And that was our intention when we first pitched the book. Was we want a book that's about our actual life experiences, and we wanted it to capture lesbian experiences that were written either in a fictional format or in a memoir format. But that really looked at every big thing that's ever happened to you in your life, whether it was coming out, whether it was being lovers with a woman who had cancer and losing her. We had a couple of stories about that. Um, pretty much every big life experience that life has been through, there is a story that recognizes that we try to be as broad as possible. And there's a lot of dark drama, too. Oh, yeah. Plenty of dark drama. Yeah. We got that in there. Not the sex really so much, but the dark drama laughs itself. We did see some commonalities. Like, definitely, we were so taken by how many road trip stories we got, we had to make a choice. Well, we can't publish five road trip stories, but the road trip is sort of like the lesbian pilgrimage. You know, this is how you find out who you are. This is how you find out is she your lover, is she your friend, or who the fuck is she in your life, you know? Go on a road trip and it'll become clear. So, yeah, I mean, every single piece, I don't know, I'm not trying to bullshit you, but every piece, very well done, and uh, we worked hard with each author to get the best out of what she was going for with her story. And people took risks, and they, they said some really meaningful and exciting things and uh, we didn't know how to organize it. That was the other thing. Like, are we going to organize it by theme? Are we going to organize it by interesting stories, funny stories, sad stories? We chose stories that had more uplifting outlooks. But we finally just decided to keep it alphabetical. That's how we ordered the anthology. Just put it in alphabetical order by the author's last name, and that's going to work fine. And we're still in process with the book cover. We're almost done. We have a few different options that we're looking at. The publisher, Casey and Claudia, have been fantastic. You guys have been really support that publisher. They're a great women's publisher. They've done so much work with us, and they've worked really hard. And they give us a lot of editorial control, which is fantastic. And they've also really solicited our input as far as what goes on the cover, what the title's going to be. Because unfortunately, you know, people do judge a book by its cover. You have to have an interesting cover and an interesting title. So they really helped us with that, and we're just about to firm up a possible cover image that we just saw this morning, actually. So I um, just want to give a shout-out to Casey and Claudia of the Dabble Bank and all the animal companions. 
did really help us a lot. And they took a chance on us, and we're feeling really good about the outcome. You touched on this earlier in the interview. How important do you think lesbian literature is to the lesbian community today? This is Sakina. One of the things I really understood when I got my Esther degree was that people need a god that looks like themselves. For me, of course, it's a goddess. I think we need someone who we can identify with. So we need literature that reflects our unique perspective in the world as we are older, um, disabled, uh, women of color, the whole range of who we are. Yes, and um, also I really think that we're, we were on the downswing. Lesbian culture was really on the downswing for quite a number of years, and I think all forms of art, whether it's music, whether it's visual art, whether it's writing, I want to see all of that thrive for lesbians because that reflects us, it gives us strength, it gives us recognition, validation, because the outside culture, the mainstream culture, we're so invisibilized, it really impacts us emotionally, psychologically, especially if you don't live in a large metropolitan area where there is a visible lesbian community, it's really fucking hard. Excuse me. I tend to curse a lot, but I think the importance of literature, lesbian literature, all kinds of art for lesbians is super important as far as empowering us and giving us a sense of finding each other, understanding who we are. We have so many obstacles against us as we're growing up, coming out of the closet. Our journey is fraught with challenges and the women of color or women with disabilities, any other ways that we are pushed to the margin, we need to see ourselves and each other. One of the essays that we have in the book is called Where Are My People? The author, her name is Ariel McKee. She's talking about why can't I find my community? Why is it so hard to find my lesbian community? And it is hard. We've all experienced that growing up, but also at different stages of life. You may go through some really, you know, times of scarcity. You're not supposed to use that word, but we feel it. We feel scarcity. So this book and books like it and lesbian music, lesbian festivals, all of that just enriches our lives and makes our lives more enjoyable and makes it easier to get through the challenges that we face living in a culture, a mainstream culture, where we're on the margins. Yeah, and as people who are very marginalized, we need to see role models like ourselves. We need lesbians to use as role models so that we're not Lesbians who are writing about these issues that I just named 
that's what we got. We put it out, and, and it's amazing how much stuff we got back, and we're really grateful to everybody who sent us material. Yeah, I have to say, this is wrong again. Over my lifetime as a reader, I've been changed by particular pieces of literature that I've read. And it's such a transformative experience sometimes. And so I'm really pleased to put out the possibility of women out there finding a piece that is transformative for them in our lesbian world. Yeah, when I was in my 20s and coming out, my early 20s, lesbian books that I found, you know, I think many of us go, in fact, some of us wrote about it, going to the library and looking up lists. You know, I mean, how many people do that? It's kind of another bite of passage for us. But when I found some stuff, I read it hungry, and, you know, it really helped me figure out who I was and what I wanted my life to look like. So it really breaks the isolation to have these kinds of books around. What do you all think about the present state of lesbian literature? You already sort of discussed it, but if you have any more insight or opinion on what the general landscape looks like right now. I think we went through a real dip and a real scarcity of lesbian culture. We took a hit and we kind of went invisible again for a while. And I see the tide turning and I see some new stuff coming out that's really exciting. There's a book by Bonnie Morris, who's also got a chapter in our book. She just finished a book called The Disappearing Out, which is about the disappearance of lesbian spaces and forums. That book is coming out. There's another book edited by Ruth Barrett called Female Erasure, which has got some really excellent writers in it. That book just came out. And that's talking about how the female, what is female, is getting erased from uh, social realities and how we have to put it back on the map. I mean, we're kind of like the spider that the web gets wiped away and we have to keep rebuilding it and keep reinventing our lives and keep making ourselves more visible. So I do see there's some changes happening that are exciting. In the Bay Area, a new cafe opened up about two years ago called Take Five Cafe in Berkeley. It's run by two women. They're a couple. And that opened up, and they put on all kinds of lesbian events. We're just thrilled to have these new spaces again. So I see the tide turning, and I see a resurgence back towards greater vitality for lesbian culture, and that's really exciting. Pippa Fleming is getting her book coming out. She just wrote her memoir, and that's getting published imminently. She's one of the writers in our book. Beth Jo is in our book. She's been writing for decades, very radical feminist. We have a piece of Judy Grand's memoir, which she had published a few years back called The Simple Revolution. We have a chapter from her book. Ilana Dankwoman is treating us to a segment of her memoir, which isn't even published yet, but she gave us the chapter, so we're really thrilled to have that. Yeah, just lots of great writers. Len Keller's in the book. She's writing about butch identity and her self-understanding as she went through the process of figuring out she was a butch lesbian and what does that mean. We've got some really cool stuff, and as I said, I see our book as part of a, a range of new books that are coming out and new uh, seedlings or sprouts that are coming up. We lost Michigan Festival that ended last year, the Lesbian um, Women's Music Festival in Michigan. You know, that ended after 40 years, and that was a huge loss for our community. Many women are still grieving over that, but I also see a lot of new sprouts, new festivals popping up. Women are uh, organizing to buy that land. That's really exciting. They're buying the land for new suburbs. 
So raspberries are amazing. We regenerate ourselves. We're incredibly smart and resourceful, and we keep putting out new stuff and reinventing ourselves. So that's exciting, and we're excited to be part of that new direction. In light of your commentary about regeneration, the three of you, obviously you've seen a lot. You've seen the evolution of lesbian community through many stages. And I would like to ask if you have anything to say to the young lesbians, you know, the lesbians who are right now in their 20s or their teens, especially ones who may be interested in becoming writers or who are writers or who want to create lesbian art in some format. If you have anything you'd like to say to them about pursuing Doing that in the future. I would say this is wrong. Don't give up too soon. I think in terms of your craft taking maybe decades to polish to a place where it can be seen, just believe in yourself, keep working, keep presenting your work, take your blows. If your work isn't accepted, it's okay. You can find out why it wasn't accepted. But anyway, keep working, keep polishing, and reach out to the rest of the world, to your lesbian sisters. Yeah, I would say also being a writer is kind of a solitary activity. However, the promotional end of it is highly social. So you have to think in terms of building a network, get to know other writers, get into a writing group. I love being in writing groups. It's helped me a lot. I've been in various writing groups over the years with other women. It really makes a difference because you don't want to get isolated and you don't want to be just a solitary person typed in a way. So make sure you work on your connections and networks as well. And there are quite a few young writers in the book in our area. Yeah, one of the women that comes to mind is Ashley Ogunwan, and she's a Nigerian-American writer, lesbian writer, and she has a website called lesbiansovereverything.com, and that's a great space that she created for publishing women's stuff and her own stuff and various articles and stories. So women are using social media in really exciting and creative ways, and that's a huge thing that's really new on the scene in the last 15 or so years is the advent of social media in all its forms, and young women are connecting that way, and I think that's fantastic. So that's, of course, one of the ways we're going to be promoting our book, too, is on Facebook and Twitter and every possible way we can promote it. We need people to write book reviews, that's the other thing. If you want to write a book review, let us know. We'll send you a free copy of the book. Well, something else I wanted to say to younger writers, too, or writers of any age who are just starting out, is if you're presenting your work for the first time or you're new to the publication scene, try to be flexible about your editor's suggestions, and, and don't take it personally and, and let yourself be shaped a little bit when you're starting out. Editors really appreciate that kind of professional behavior where you work with an editor and really listen to them instead of being extremely attached to words exactly as they are. Let yourself be shaped a little bit. Some of the writers that I know that I've come across while doing this book, but also just that I know in the community, the younger ones under 25, I'm just so impressed. I mean, they're so sharp and they're so informed. It's just really a breath of fresh air. And I think that younger lesbians especially have it harder in some ways because there's a big 
pressure now coming from the trans politics. A lot of women are transitioning, and that's a really difficult process. A lot of women are feeling the pressure to respond to that social phenomenon right now. I don't know what else to call it. So I'm just really impressed by young lesbians that find a strong sense of themselves as women and as lesbians and are able to express it on paper because that's what identity is all about, is being able to get it down on paper, being able to develop yourself, and then you're a role model for everybody else. Everybody has to go through those challenges. But I'm just touched by so much of the smart young lesbians that I know, radical young women that I know. It's exciting. Yeah. It's inspiring, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to say to WLRN about the book, about yourselves, about what you hope for the book? Well, I wanted to say one last thing about one of our elder authors. Her name is Polly Taylor, and we actually lost her during the process of writing this book. She passed. She was in her late 80s when we first got her story in the mail, and she sent us a beautiful story about her life as an elder lesbian living in a gender community in San Francisco. It's called My Urban Forest, talking about the plants and creatures outside her window and just musing on her life. It's really beautiful, well-written too. And during the time that we were doing this book, like I said, it took us three years, she passed on, and we feel grateful to have her story in our book, and we just wanted to mention that. A lot of time has passed, you know, and we just feel blessed to have her story in our book, and uh, we wish she would have been around to see the book by the time it was finished. So that's what I would say. We're really glad you exist. You know that our words will reach women, and you know, our community of women, um, who might not have this feel as well as I mean, it immediately puts news of our book in women's lives. So to have this radio station and have this interview by you, uh, we just so appreciate it. Feminist media, we need it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited, too. I've always heard that Madison, you're in Madison, Wisconsin, right? I've always heard of that as being a very progressive place. So I'm excited to know that women in the field in Madison, eating their cheese, would be putting our book. <laughs> Yeah, it's just great when any form of lesbian media, feminist media, exists. We need as much of it as possible to get the word out about who we are and to connect with each other. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for putting the book together. That's an amazing feat. And I wish you the best of luck with the success of the book. I hope to see it do really well in the feminist and lesbian feminist online circles. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for participating in that concept. Yeah. Helping us get the word out. And we're excited. Let us know when we can hear the podcast.